you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And uh, Victory and our brother Richard. Yes, Richard. Yeah, maybe Marty. Marty. Okay. Both of them back there right now. But Okay, yeah. Yeah. wonderful. Got it's a, a party. <laughs> oh, I'm so tempted to rhyme party with Marty. I, I can't. <laughs> I'm trying to resist. I'm trying to hold back. But it's difficult. Just, just know. Okay, I'm showing an incredible amount of restraint by not doing that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a big gathering. Yes. With, with Richard and Marty. There you go. <laughs> big, big gathering. Um, today we're going to be talking dangerous affirmation. Our brother MD Perkins is mm. joining us. Um, research fellow for church and culture here at the American family association mm-hmm. producer of in his image. And we've been talking about these issues for a number of years. This, I am, I am so excited um, about this book that he has out. And the reason for that is because when you sit and you talk to MD Perkins on the issue of so-called gay Christianity, um, the genuine concern from the for the church is evident. Amen. So this is not a, oh, this is a topic I need to write about. This is a genuine conviction. That's right. This is a problem. I'm concerned about the bride of Christ, and this book has been birthed out of that. And you can tell that. Now, I've not read the book in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I have skimmed the book in preparation for this interview. I will read the book. But just as you look at the layout of the book, you can see that the intent is not to just give you heady information. Right. The intent is to equip you to defend the truth of what it is to be a Christian. Biblically speaking, what does this mean? What do we affirm? What is orthodox for us? And I am so grateful for that. I am so grateful for that. So anyways, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later today um, in the next segment, as a matter of fact, of the show. That's right. But before we do that, I want to toggle back to yesterday we were talking about or asking the question, can we trust the Bible for faith and practice, right? Can, can we trust the Bible for faith and practice? practice? And um, we're looking at what seems to be or is being presented as a Southern Baptist uh, Convention denominational problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't think it is a Southern Baptist problem. And I want to bring our brother Jacob, who called us um, yesterday and didn't get to finish his thoughts, Lord bless him. I'm sorry. Again, it's Will. So he didn't get to finish his (laughs) thoughts, but he did. It always is. He did send us an email, which I thought was very well written um, in helping to to sort of um, put a bow around what his concerns are. I actually share his concerns. I want to say a few years ago when we started talking about the um, infiltration of critical race theory into Mm. the Southern Baptist Convention, that was one of our concerns that it was going to spread like a cancer. Right, right? right. And that it would be destructive. Let me say, let me go further back than um, looking at critical race theory. When we talked about the me too movement where there was the church Too movement. Again, we said, 
hold on a second, why do you have certain prominent members of the Southern Baptist Convention who are pushing this type of um, correction, a hashtag correction? Like, why do you have this? One of the things that I think is important, and our brother Jacob expressed this perfectly, I'm going to read his email to you, but I just want to just summarize here. One of the things that I agree with him that I think is important is to recognize that when we are identifying these problems, we are not talking about individual churches that should be seen as one collection, that this is what is happening in every church that is identified as a Southern Baptist church around the country. Mm -hmm. Like, I I think that is so important for us to recognize. And so reading our brother's email, it gave me the opportunity to take a step back and to make sure that I'm not communicating that. In fact, when I look at what's going on with Methodist churches, when we look at what's going on with some Presbyterian churches. It is not to say that every church is doing this, Mm -hmm. but it does serve as a warning. It serves as sort of like a starting point to say, hey, people of God, this is what we need to look out for. Yeah. And, you know, this is what we need to watch for. And I would say I so much agree with with you on that. It's not all the churches, you know, um, in the SBC. You know, I, I think one of my biggest problems was the outside people that were brought in. Uh, yes. Apparently by the SBC leadership or I don't know how, mm-hmm. you know, that right there strikes at the heart of what, you know, my problem is, mm-hmm. because then you open up the door for what's happening now, yes. you know. Yes. And so I would have to look at who are the leaders up top that, you know, did this, yeah. you know, yeah. and I don't know what their motive is or whatever. But, man, that's. That's a huge red flag to me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Some of the information that we have gotten, I, get, I don't know if you call it off record, but some of the things that we've been looking at in even personal conversation from maybe three years ago, I'm not sure. I want to say three years ago, um, just prior to COVID hitting uh, and, and talking about some of these things behind the scenes is that there really seemed to be um, a pronounced split a happening. Okay. (laughs) Where you, you had the liberals, those who were trying to move toward um, a quote unquote, more palatable SBC, meaning that the world loves it. Right. And then you Mm. had those who are saying, but what of scripture Mm. and what of Christ Mm. and and what of the Lord's bride and the distinction there. Mm. And so that's kind of been a showdown that's been going on for a long time. It's, it's been the, um, the, the way now this is looking at it from the outside, which is what we do with a lot of issues. We're looking at it from the outside, but filtering it through a biblical lens. I don't, I'm not of the conviction that I have to be a part of something to be able to speak to it when we use the Bible. Right. Right. But as you look at it from the outside, we use the Bible. That's right. So, so, you know, faith and practice. Um, but in looking at it from the outside, what is happening in the SBC, this this battle that I have observed, right? Um, you read those who write um, on, on both sides. You read about what happens, the different shakeup in churches in different places. We've followed these things over the years, the trying to bring this particular pastor in and then accusing this church of being um, or showing partiality. Let's use Bible words. All of these things like this, it, it's sort of been the way that I see it. It's been sort of like the um, the sheriff against the outlaw fight where it, it's sort of like the is he going to fall? He's going down. He's been shot. Like, you know, like wounding that kind of, it's dragging on for a very long time. Will, um, will the, the sufficiency of scripture win in the SBC or not? 
To me, there's those are the polls there. Mm. Will the sufficiency of scripture win in the SBC or will it not? I think several years ago, what was this back in 2018, 2019, somewhere around there? I think when when the SBC said that critical race theory could be a a framework Mm -hmm. that could be used to help us understand, quote unquote, race and all of this. I think that that was a shot at scripture. Yeah, and I not think, for the better. And it seemed like it's an on ramp to yeah. wokeness. Like, uh, and, you know, and once you go woke, they don't let you close your uh, eyes. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Once, <laughs> once you <laughs> posture yourself as being woke, and and let me read our brother's letter, um, mm-hmm. our email that he sent yesterday, because I think this is really important. So he writes, "This is from our brother Jacob yesterday." He said, first and foremost, I agree with you. The Bible is 100 percent the authority on placing a pastor in church. The report that came out of the SBC is purposely very misleading and has the enemy all over it. I'm very familiar with the workings of the SBC and the background of how this report came to be. Um, I'm going to jump down here. He says, I'm concerned when people talk about the issues from the report. Um, There's not a good elaboration on the fact that this is not a denomination issue. It is an issue of local churches not doing what needs to be done in dealing with church discipline or in cases of criminal issues, not referring to the proper legal channels. Um, He says the SBC is a co-op of independent like doctrine churches pooling their money to, to help further the Great Commission all around the world. Nearly 50,000 churches and very few had an issue and most did deal with it properly. The report was over nearly a 20 year time frame. And then he says, yes, one case is too many. Yeah. So I appreciate that. He's being very careful here, mm-hmm. which is what we must do as followers of the Lord. Like we don't want to be overly emotional in our response. We don't want to show partiality. We want to say, yes, this is wrong. But we also want to say, but hold on a second. This is not an accurate picture of Mm. what is actually going on. I'll continue with his email from yesterday. He says, I fear there are people looking for a good, sound biblical church to attend and will not walk into an SBC church because they do not understand the independence of each church. That is a point well made. Yeah. Yeah. That that is that is a necessary point. Right. Right. Because we do not want to give any fuel to the enemy's flame. Right. Right figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> but it does something weird. They almost think literally. Um, anyway, let me, let me, let me wrap up here and then um, have you comment on this. Will the great, mm-hmm. he says SBC churches independently hire and fire their pastors. The SBC has nothing to do with who a church hires. There is no pastor shuffling. If a pastor is moving from church to church that is involved in this or any type of abuse, it is because local church, the local church is not doing their job of handling this issue and, or the hiring church is not doing their job of investigating the pastor before hiring. Mm -hmm. I mean, this makes sense to me. I, my problem. And one of the reasons that we started looking at what was going on with the SBC. um, Well, there are several reasons I, I will just say this, you know, going back to um, J.D. Greer's leadership, mm-hmm. when he started talking about pronoun hospitality, yeah, yeah. dude, that's a red flag Man, for me. And what? we're going to get into talking about dangerous <laughs> affirmation today. Exactly. <laughs> but when you've got a person from a position of leadership, I understand that it that person is not determining what happens in each individual church. Right. But we have to sound an alarm because what happens mm-hmm. is these things by way of influence, I'm yes. not saying mandates, yes. but by way of influence at the very least, have a way of trickling down That's into right. churches at a local level where people start entertaining these thoughts of so-called 
pronoun hospitality. If you've got a leader who is saying, well, I'm not going to immediately tell a person, you know, that there's male or there's female. I'm going to get to know that person. I'm going to talk with them and then, you know, find an on ramp for the truth. I, I. yeah. That's just a little too soft and look, for me. That, that is the thing right there. The influence that comes down from the bigger names or the big, the people, the pastors that you do know. Because mm-hmm. even with the critical race theory, how many emails did we get about, oh, man, my church is starting a Bible study. Could Come you guys on. check yep. this out? Check out this curriculum. Because it seems mm-hmm. like they have a lot, some, some woke you know, yep. language in it. We've gotten multiple emails. And then we check it out. Yeah. And turns out, hey, no, mm-mm, this is not good. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So the point I'm making is that the influence is there. Like it, it right. comes down to the local level church. You mm-hmm. know, it'll, it'll, it'll come down and even come down through the seminaries into yes. those yes. local levels. So you have some coming out of the seminaries who are being leaders in the church, not even mm-hmm. if they're a pastor. They may be some form of leadership and they have some of these same ideals, you know, yes. that they're bringing. And so it, that, that is the thing. It's the influence that's there as well. And, and let me say this, too. Please recognize that a lot of the books that would once now I know we've moved away from a lot of the the brick and mortar uh, stores of, of, of yesteryear, but still mm-hmm. these books are making their way around. A lot of these prolific writers are the ones that we trusted for years, but they have veered from the truth. They still have an influence, though. They still have people who are reading their books. And what you find is you've got um, a heaping of the truth, a heaping of the truth, a heaping of the truth, and just a sprinkle of error. Mm. A heaping of the truth, a heaping and just a sprinkle of error. But then the books continue. Right. And and then as the books continue, sort of the, the error becomes, you know, a heaping of the truth, a heaping and then a, a heaping of error. But then more <laughs> truth, more truth. And so people increasingly are having a difficult time discerning. So the reason we talk about these things on this program is not to denigrate the church is to say that the church is precious. Amen. And that she Come must on. be defended. We have to stand up yes. for truth. It doesn't matter where we are. Look, we're going to each get into situations where we are a part of where the magnifying glass is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look, there are issues that we talk about that would have been a part of our church history, our church um, tradition that we say. But you know what? When you look at scripture, you really don't see that in the scriptures. Mm. Does that make Will the Great and I uncomfortable? Mm, maybe, but I've kind of gotten used to it because <laughs> the Bible <laughs> the Bible demands and deserves to be respected and affirmed, not only for faith, but also for practice. Amen. So I want to say, I, I this is duly noted, this yes. email from our brother Jacob. Yes. I really do appreciate it and the spirit in which it was, it was typed up. Um, it's important for us to recognize what we are actually talking about, that this is not every Southern Baptist church um, around the country, but we do have some things that we want to look at and say, the Bible guides us when we're looking for churches. Let's turn to scripture. Aaron, the Addison's will be right back. Just as it comes, let it go. If I had nothing left to hold, but I'm still held by you, it is well with my soul. My soul. We want to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to us. Like there, there is no other gospel. And so with, with all that we have, um, with all the strength and with all the energy that we have, all of the conviction that we have, we want to contend for the gospel. Amen. The gospel is enough. The gospel is sufficient. There's nothing else. 
There's nothing Amen. else. No, no other wave of gospel is coming. The <laughs> once and for all received gospel <laughs> that has been handed down to us. This is what we're contending for. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that was uh, Roy Tosh with It Is Well. And in this corner, M.D. Perkins, <laughs> research fellow of church and culture for American Family Association. He also produced the award-winning documentaries, The God Who Speaks, and In His Image, Delighting in God's Plan for Gender and Sexuality. And I don't know if I made this up in my mind, but I seem to remember a very long time ago, M.D. saying to you and I that he was going to write about so-called gay Christianity. I, I remember us talking about the revoice movement and yeah. it seemed that he just said you know what i'm i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna write about that and <laughs> and now if i remember that correctly if i didn't just make that up because no, it sounds it. good okay <laughs> okay so then this really does seem like the birth of a child because yeah. this has been <laughs> yeah this has been a long time coming md how are you oh i'm doing well speaking of birth of a child my wife is supposed to give birth later this week to our fourth so um come on yeah, promoting the book and then uh, bringing new life into the world so Amen. like it's a busy week for us listen Amen. let me let me tell you what we do let me tell you what we do at afa because because family is our middle name here okay when we gave birth to our sixth child Timmy, you guys had some diapers that your then, mm-hmm. I guess, third child had yes. outgrown really quickly. Everybody knows you get to that stage <laughs> where you're like, oh, we can't. You gave us a huge box of diapers. So we use those. So what we'll have to do is just get you a new box cool. of diapers <laughs> for this child number four. That would be great. Awesome. It's so funny. Although the way we do it here at AFA, there's probably someone who has a box that their kid has outgrown. Right. Because there's constantly <laughs> babies being born at the American Family Association. Yeah, and those and early we sizes, they don't last very long. No, no they don't. So Not fast. at all. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, MD, let's talk about dangerous affirmation. I yeah. do feel sort of a moment of... It's here. This book is here. Mm. This has been mm. truly, and I don't want to overuse it or be sappy, but this is a labor of love for Christ and 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 his bride. Talk about dangerous affirmation. Yeah, this is, uh, like you said, I mean, this book has been, it, y'all guys were, <laughs> were in the early stages. I mean, I was having conversations yeah. with y'all about some of the research I was doing yeah. mm-hmm. uh, back when we were still producing In His Image, because mm-hmm. that's where this book came from originally, yeah. was wow. it came out of the research we were doing for In His Image, you know, covering all the issues related to gender and sexuality and the church and how, how Christians should respond. But there was that one particular thread that really needed a lot of attention, and that was the way that the LGBT movement has impacted the church. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it started out just trying to understand this whole revoice movement. Mm-hmm. What is this? What you know, the sounds, the sounds uh, agreeable in some forms, but then there's other statements that are problematic. So it was trying to tease out all of those threads, and then as mm-hmm. I as I dug in on the research, it just became more and more clear to me, to me and to the other. Uh, members of the AFS team and then the the AFA leadership got involved and they were just thinking like we really need to put this to to uh, you know fashion a book resource right. that yes. would you know have the citations that would be able to clearly articulate all of these things um, so that's that's where dangerous affirmation came from it came out of trying to find a way to first of all understand what is going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then to be able to explain that to others and then to be able to defend the Christian position within all of this too because it's one thing to just say like here's some crazy stuff going on uh-huh. but you really need to be able to bring the Bible to bear on the issue and that's what Amen. I really wanted to do here to equip Christians to answer and understand what's happening 
Amen. You know, I think phrasing it like to say tease this out, I, I think is really appropriate because there may be some of our listeners, MD, who would say, well, we know that homosexuality is a sin. The Bible clearly states that it's a sin. We agree with the word of God. So we don't have any problems. We're going to avoid the big rainbow right. banner churches like we see those big glaring problems. And so we don't have an issue here. But I think what many fail to understand, and I don't mean to use this word lightly, is the nuance of mm-hmm. the presentation in churches that you would mm-hmm. think would be solid. Yeah. So talk about that. Talk about some of the ways that Christians need to be able to discern or even at a basic level, just spot those things that war against the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the so... You know, choosing the subtitle, Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity, you know, the language of threat. Some people mm-hmm. wince at that because it feels way too confrontational for their, you know, for their <laughs> their liking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I did that intentionally because there, there needs to be this kind of moment where people wake up to what's happening. And, you know, like you said, there's, there's obvious ways in which the gay affirming church movement is saying stuff that we obviously disagree with. There's a whole queer theology element that's just meant mm-hmm. to be really shocking and abrasive and kind of make uh, conservatives feel uncomfortable. But there are ways in which evangelicals are more susceptible, I would say, to, to some of the lies that are happening out there. And, and some of it just comes in through ways that people have tried to, uh, you know, um, reconcile secular psychology mm. with with Christian doctrine and Christian belief. You know, mm. so they hear a phrase like original sin and then they hear something like sexual orientation, you know, that you're <laughs> you're born gay. And so, well, we're born with a sin nature. Here's something that kind of describes a bit of a sin nature. And so they're like, oh, these two things are synonyms. So we can just accept the idea and category of sexual orientation without really giving it much biblical thought at all. But, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, the Bible does address sexual orientation, in my opinion, when in Romans 1, Paul describes it as a dishonorable passion. That idea Come of passion on. is, uh, you know, a feeling that the mind suffers. You know, it's not necessarily something that someone is necessarily going out and seeking out and doing. It's not describing the action, but it is describing the desire mm-hmm. and the way that temptation comes in and lays hold of your heart and draws you out, draws out these sinful uh, thoughts and feelings and desires within you. You know, the Bible never treats our desires as neutral, but you oh, know, all good. of these things, like it, it's just, it, it's astonishing that, that Christians are so slow to kind of get their minds around it. And part mm-hmm. of it is just, we don't think biblically, we don't think carefully We're we're biblically illiterate in so many places. And then, you know, uh, like you were kind of alluding to in the, in the prior segment, you know, you're getting kind of uncertain uh, you know, pronunciations from uh, yeah. from uh, guys in leadership, in leadership. that you, you would yeah. look to and trust. Yeah. And then they're saying things like, oh, pronoun hospitality or stuff like that. And you're like, oh, okay, so we can just take on these kind of worldly monikers and uh, and, and do that. And that's that's okay for us as Christians. But, you know, for me, like, I really felt like we needed to slow down and figure out what we're even talking about here right. because so much of this conversation is happening so fast so quickly yeah. and mm-hmm. people are ready to move on to the application before they even know what are we talking about mm-hmm. like what does same sex attraction mean like it it took me a solid few weeks just to understand all of the different ways that people were even describing that term is that the same as orientation or is there a distinction there what about when you say same sex sexual desire you know is that the same thing and anyway there's just there's things like that that I feel like we really had to slow down 
and take a, a long look at what were, what were people actually saying. I, I did want to understand mm-hmm. the first source statements that people were making, not just rush to uh, you know, assumptions or conclusions based on how I felt like they were arguing, mm-hmm. but to really understand their arguments. You know, I mean, I, so I think important. as Christians, we need to be able to do that. It, 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 it's not something everyone should do because they're not necessarily mature enough to step into that. You know, they need to be careful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Christians, to be, to be able to, to listen to an argument, understand what someone is actually saying, to start to see the implications of that, and then to bring scriptural truth to bear on it and say, no, this is what the Bible describes, and what you just said doesn't seem to line up. You know, yeah. Man, when we would have certain discussions about this, like mm-hmm. leading up, you know, uh, I would think about, like, man, this is amazing that this is happening, that that the church is opening up to this. What, what in your research, what was some of the things that you found to be, like, surprising to you? So, so to me, it's the egregious nature of the church being open to this stuff and sure. it, it coming in. So that that that's something that I think of, like, man, how is this happening was it should some, be settled. Yeah, it should be settled because of scripture. But are, are there things like that that you were like, man, I didn't realize it was like this? Yeah, I, I didn't realize how um, I didn't realize how far back it went. For one thing, you know, mm. in one sense it's very new, but in another sense it's the the arguments that were presented at the first are the same arguments that are with us now. There hasn't been a whole lot of progress in terms of the arguments of the gay affirming side. You know, the first. The first book to really argue for a different view of the scripture the, of the scriptural teaching on homosexuality was in 1955 in mm. Great Britain, wow. and I think it's noteworthy to know that that's in the, actually within the context of trying to change the laws uh, regarding homosexual behavior uh, at, at the governmental civic level, mm. and so it was like that. That was mm. one of the things that was really surprising to me. You know, I, I've kind of wondered. You know. Because people always say when you when you bring up a topic like abortion or homosexuality, you know, they're immediately like their reaction is, well, let's not talk about politics. And I mean, (laughs) in one sense, you understand what they're saying. But in another sense, you're like, I can't help but do it because (laughs) the politics is so intimately tied to to all of the the acceptance of this in society and Mm -hmm. culture that I can't just I can't just pull out that thread and act like there isn't. A, theo- a, a political implication right. to the theology mm-hmm. that I'm talking about. Yeah. So, you know, that was, for me, that was kind of a watershed moment is when I realized just how tied politics was because honestly, you know, the first outline of this book, you know, I, I deal with rethinking theology, rethinking the Bible, rethinking the church, rethinking identity, the ways in which the LGBT movement within the church has done each of those things. Yeah. But then the last chapter, chapter five, is on creating activists, uh, and on the way, the way in which there's this attempt to create LGBT yes. activists within the church, you Come know, on. because it's like, what is the end game of all this? What is the point? Well, the point is to to make uh, conservative Christians within the church either shut up about it or to just come alongside and be allies or activists allies. for this cause. And I'm telling you, it's, it's working in the sense we, we just came from a camp where we saw that there were kids who have been made allies yeah. who yes. didn't want you to speak about this in in a terms of a biblical sense you know yeah. and, mm-hmm. and was kind of offended like what and these were kids that are being brought up in church everything that's shaping their worldview is is worldly they're being discipled by the world they're being discipled yeah. by media they're being discipled by news they're being discipled obviously by things as they're hearing in their educational 
context. And mm-hmm. so all of the information that's coming at you is, is this whole idea. It's a, it, it really is another worldview and even another religion, you know, this gay mm. Christianity stuff. Wow. So like that's, when I talk about the threat, like that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, like, it's real. Pay attention. Like yeah. this is coming after people and it's, and it's a, the, the intent behind it, the spiritual intent, I'm not talking about the individual people right. promoting it necessarily because some of them may not be thinking this way at all, but the, the, the intent behind Satan's move in this is to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. understand the spiritual warfare that's happening around this issue mm-hmm. and around this topic and the way that it's impacting people. Mm. You know, I think one of the things that um, parents often are comforted by, especially raising kids in this culture, looking at Gen Z and Gen Elf, I guess it's coming after them. But um, I think one of the things that parents can comfort themselves with is this idea that I've raised a kid who seems to be unscathed by the culture, meaning that they are not identifying Mm -hmm. the entire time. What they may miss is that yeah, your kid may not be identifying, but is your kid affirming and celebrating? Right. Mm-hmm. Is, is is your kid a champion? Is your kid made made sort of like, is your kid now proselytizing because of what, what has been discipled into right. him or her? Um, and I think that's something that parents need to explore. But I want to go back to something that you said earlier, MD. Okay. You, you, you mentioned briefly the breakdown, and again, to use the word, the nuance of the way we see this dangerous affirmation in the church. I want to look at that because I think you make an excellent point that there are words and there's, there are terms, there's phrases that are used that we think we understand, but we really don't understand the deeper meaning of what is being expressed. Kind of lay that out for us and help us to get a working understanding of some of these terms and phrases. Yeah. So the idea Part of the big overall push within the LGBT movement overall has been a shift in language. I mean, we, we know that. We, we can sense this now, you know, with even the, the pronoun debate and things that are going on there, you know, the definition mm-hmm. of male or female, mm-hmm. man or woman. But, you know, to go even further back, I mean, even the term gay came out, uh, uh, you know, as a way to try and um, define homosexuality without emphasizing sexuality. Because mm-hmm. there was this this desire that like this recognition that like to to call it homosexuality that like that still has sex in it and so that still <laughs> implies the action and so we want to move away from that word to something that's more innocuous mm-hmm. something that mm-hmm. is even fun and something that's happy you know gay just kind of meant carefree or you know happy or something to that nature you know back in the 1920s mm-hmm. well it was it was that word was taken on by you know, I, I think it was an intentional effort, really, to to change the way that, that things happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, because once you change the language, you are changing the way that people think about something. Because mm-hmm. we think in terms of language, we think in terms of words. And words help us to put in categories certain things uh, that that are more abstract and we can't quantify until we have a word to define it. And so the way in which language has been has been reshaped even by this, you know, I think of the word homophobia. You know, how many times have you been... Mm-hmm labeled a homophobic or, you know, Christians are just homophobic or they're bigots or that kind of thing. Well, the word homophobia was originally established by a psychologist to try and describe people who feared uh, homosexuals being in the same room. And then activists took hold of that word, saw that they could use it as something akin to racism and then Mm -hmm. use it to uh, dismantle um, Christians. 
Okay, when we get back on the other side of the break, I want to break down these three categories that you have in the book. I don't know if categories is the right word, but I want to look at affirming theology, queer theology, and gay celibate theology. Because I think there may be some people who don't recognize that some of these overlap. And you may think that you clear one, but in some of your professions, you actually are not clearing the other, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about that, break that down what we need to watch for and what we need to be on guard against in the church. We're talking dangerous affirmation. Our brother MD Perkins is here with us. We'll grab this break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You see, your primary issue, your primary problem isn't that there are people, isn't that there are advertisements, isn't that there are systems out there that are making you say, you know, the problem is you. Instead of making excuses and blaming when you sin, face it, the truth is, say, I'm the problem. My heart's sick as a leper. My biggest dilemma's my sin in the center of me. I'm the problem. Yo, I'm stubborn and stiff-necked, loving what's wicked. The judge I don't respect, cause I'm the problem. And it isn't our spouses, though kids are a challenge. The sin it is countless, but I'm the problem. It can't be so Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and as I'm the problem, Timothy Brindle. No, no, you're okay. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's a dangerous affirmation. No, you're okay. You're not the problem. (laughs) MD's like, and and hence, I'm here for you. Okay, you are the problem. Um, Called in the right guy. Yeah. (laughs) There's always going to be room for that Paul Washer. I don't know why you're clapping. (laughs) I'm talking about you. Anyways, all right. MD Perkins joins us. He is the author of Dangerous Affirmation, the Threat of, in quotes, Gay Christianity. Very important there. Uh, we're talking about the subtle yet consistent and forceful. It's it's. I don't know if you can have both a subtle infiltration, but also a forceful <laughs> infiltration. I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. that's what we're watching in the church. And one of the things I wanted you to do before we went to break here, MD, is I wanted you to help us understand the distinctions between affirming theology, queer theology, and gay celibate theology, because I think all of them are dangerous, but some of them we can spot more easily than others. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when I started researching this, you know, I, I, I began to start to categorize um, these three different things. I, I didn't know how to categorize them at first. I mean, I knew the gay affirming stuff and I knew the the, the kind of gay celibate theology exemplified by Revoice. So I was trying to understand, like, what, how would I quantify these? And and really, I think they're both they're best expressed in quotes. So, like, here's here's Matthew Vines, who is a gay affirming author. He says Christians who affirm the full authority of Scripture can also affirm committed monogamous same sex relationships. Okay, so what what is uh, <laughs> obviously you know you're immediately like okay, uh, we're talking about two different kinds of authority of Scripture here, but um, you know that's that's what he's doing. He he's revising what what these terms mean, you know, Mm. where suddenly the full authority of the Bible doesn't have anything to do with the moral law of God, because now you've, you've changed that you've adjusted it to, to where homosexual behavior is no longer some sin or something to be repented of. Now it's just a part of how God made you, you know, Mm. a part that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, and so they (laughs) use those kinds of descriptions to talk about this. And that's probably the most well-known aspect of gay Christianity is the affirming church, you know, it's an exemplified in rainbow flags and welcome mm-hmm. and affirming and all that. And then there's the, the queer theology. I, I just, 
I, I struggle with whether to include it or not just because it's so shocking and abrasive in its, in its outlook and it's, and it's mostly academic at this point. Hmm. But academic things always have this trickle-down effect. <laughs> CRT. Yes. And so, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. I knew you'd latch hold of that. But, uh, so I think it's, and because of a social media especially, where people really like kind of short, pithy, like punchy statements, mm-hmm. you know, queer theology really fits really well within that that vein. And, and so uh, a woman by the name of Kitra Cherry, who is a lesbian minister, wrote this, the God of my queer faith is a wildly inclusive spirit who creates ever-expanding diversity and loves everyone regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. I see God disrupting all attempts to be defined or confined. How queer? Okay, so like, what are we getting at here? Well, this is just you know, I mean, it is affirming, obviously, but it's even a step further. You know, it's this very scoffing and defiant, mm-hmm. like, I want to shock you. I want to make you feel uncomfortable. And I want you to think in slightly different terms just by kind of throwing an idea that hits you upside the head, you know, like mm. God being a queer, inclusive spirit, you know, or something like that. And so you're like, well, I, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of mm. don't really know how to take that. But those kinds of statements are really, um, they're really effective, especially on people who already have a bit of an ax to grind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of looking for an outlet. And then they stumble across something like that. Or when people say things like, well, David and, and Jonathan were homosexual lovers or something. <laughs> you don't have to prove that or kind of make a scholarly case. In fact, scholars haven't even tried to legitimately make that case since like 1978. But, uh, you know, but people throw that out there as kind right. of a popular mm-hmm. thing. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the influence of, of that. And then there's this gay celibate theology movement, yeah, which is, you know, to, to your point, it's the subtle one. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's the one that more evangelicals are going to deal with. So Wesley Hill, who's a gay celibate author, says, the experience of same-sex desire may be the divinely appointed way in which celibate gay Christians discover the power of Christ made perfect in their lives. Wait, okay, so wait, what is he getting at what? here? Well, he's saying that he's born with a homosexual orientation. He's not necessarily saying that God made him gay. He doesn't really know what to do with that. He says it's kind of a result of the fall. Um, he knows that he can't live out as a homosexual man, and so he can't pursue a homosexual marriage. Yet at the same time, he wants to embrace his identity, his sexual mm. identity as a homosexual, and mm. to say that this is somehow you know, an actual good thing because it makes him more aware of, of friendships and it makes him more able to serve within the church. And singleness is this beautiful thing that he, he uh, you know, is now uniquely, he, he envisions himself wow. as a bit of a eunuch, you know, and kind of taking the, uh, the, the Christ uh, passage about, uh, you know, being eunuchs for the kingdom, mm-hmm. even though like he didn't, <laughs> he didn't forego these things because, uh, because he's committed to ministry. He for mm-hmm. He, he believes that he can't get married, that he can't be in a, in a heterosexual Because he cannot biblically express and, that yeah, affection. Exactly. And this is the one I think that, like you said, that most Christians are going to find tricky. Because the thing is, it's going to be said, well, as long as you don't act upon it, like you, you can identify, have these feelings, and this is who, you know, I am. And, all, and I think Christians would be like, kind of confused by that. Let's challenge that biblically, MD. Mm-hmm. Like so so we set it up and and this is the more subtle one. This is the one that we are hearing and seeing a lot of where people whenever the conversation goes back to identity, mm-hmm. you have questions about um 
ethnicity and culture and all of these things. And so you start trying to look for these immutable characteristics that people say, well, certainly I can't be punished for this because I have no control mm. over this. Um, for the Christian who hears this claim and and can spot some of the wording and, and is concerned, how biblically do we respond to this to say, no, you no, this is biblically incompatible with Christianity. Yeah, I mean, Colossians 3, verse 5 comes to mind. You know, let not, I'm, I'm going to butcher it because suddenly I'm trying to paraphrase mm-hmm. it. But, you know, basically let, let no uncleanness or uh, sexual immorality or all of these different things are labeled there that aren't just the action. They're mm-hmm. also desires and intents and yes. covetousness, which is, which is idolatry. You know, like the Ten Commandments actually deal with our desires, where mm-hmm. Paul even makes that link from, you know, covetousness, this desire, you know, which is, you know, I mean, think of the Ten Commandments where, you, you know, you can covet your neighbor's wife. You're not necessarily lusting for your neighbor's wife sexually, but there is a, a way in which you desire something that God has not given to you. Mm. God has not mm. granted that to you. That is off limits mm-hmm. for you. And so to even desire that as a Christian is is to embrace something that is sinful. You know, so there are ways in which, you know, obviously sometimes temptation comes from without and it and it gets us and we we sense we're being tempted and and we're kind of recoiling and we want to resist. But there's also, you know, the the James passage that talks about um the implication is that uh, temptation comes in and it draws sin out of you. It draws mm-hmm. out what's already, already there, yeah. you know? And yeah. so I think for Christians, you know, like they kind of struggle on that because they think, well, like a temptation isn't a sin. Well, not in every case. I mean, we obviously know that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Right. But that doesn't mean that every temptation is in itself, you know, sinless, and that it's mm-hmm. because Christ was tempted from without, like things were coming in. It wasn't drawing out from a sin nature that he had, like mm-hmm. we do. You know, I mean, you think of the concept of besetting sin. Mm-hmm. So often people just think, well, it's just something that I'm stuck with. Mm-hmm. No, it's more like a besetting sin is more like ruts in the road, you know, mm-hmm. where like you just you just drove in the same direction a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of where you always tend to go. It's, mm-hmm. You've created a lane. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And so like you can overcome that. It's not easy, but it is something that if you are intentional about it and you truly desire to overcome it, besetting sins can be overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's so interesting. You look at the Apostle Paul's letters and in and, and multiple places, this understanding of what we once were and even who, since people are so comfortable with identity, mm-hmm. but who we once were before coming to Christ, this does not um, excuse homosexual um, affection, homosexuality, homosexual practice, or even the the way you behave, like your right. mannerisms. I'm 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 reminded mm-hmm. of First Corinthians chapter six, and I think um, one of the one of the endorsements in your book is by Pastor Tim Bailey. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to say, mm-hmm. Pastor Pastor Bailey was on our program years ago yeah. and drew our attention to a passage of scripture that you yeah. read. It. How many times you read it? <laughs> But then you just kind of overlook because you're just reading or you've got a version of the Bible Mm -hmm. that doesn't have the word in there. But the Bible actually lists even the effeminate. So that would be those who are men, but would behave as women do that. The Apostle Paul is saying you were these people, but you were washed, but you were cleansed. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that, MD. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that we we have to constantly be reminded of that there there's more to this than just 
I'm not acting this way and I'm doing this thing instead. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the Bible talks about our, our desires, our mannerisms, our behavior, you know, the, like we want all of our lives to reflect who God made us because that's what we're coming down to. You know, like you, you talked about you know, biblically, like how do we define these things? You know, mm -hmm. once you create this new category of sexual orientation, well, now like the, the man-woman category that was there in Genesis 1, now you've added something new to the mix mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, well, you're not, you're not wholly a man or you're not wholly a woman. Like you're, you're this, this, there's a third category that is this sexual orientation. And, um, like, so God created us for, <laughs> for all these things. Like, this is not, God didn't create us to, um, to live out homosexual desires and homosexual right. behavior. And so even, you know, and so much of that is wrapped up, too, in the identity part of it, where you still want to identify. And mm. that's where a lot of this yeah. whole Revoice movement does. Is Like, I mean, I was seeing a guy who was in a, in a Reformed Evangelical Seminary, and he was painting his fingernails because he wanted to show off the fact that he was gay, but he was practicing celibacy. You know, he wasn't pursuing a homosexual relationship. Wow. But That's then I, I, I look a, a few weeks later or a few months later on his Twitter, and he's talking about going and dancing at gay bars. You know, but he's not practicing homosexual behavior, or is he? Mm. You know, I mean, right. like, at, at what point does the behavior become like, I just want to be identified with this group and I want to be seen in this way and mm -hmm. I want to enjoy all the kind of cultural accoutrements that come with that, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I'm not pursuing the relationships, you know, directly. Is it um, too much, MD? Is it too much? And you tell me if I'm reaching too far, if I'm, if I'm going beyond uh, your research and your admonition to the church. Is it too much to say that the identity is a form of practice? If if people get down to the, I, well, it's either practice or it's identity, and identity is not sin, but practice is, does the identity, if you're defining practice as sin, does the identity fall into the category of practice? Not that you're doing, right. but to to present in that way. Isn't there a type of doing involved in that? Is that too much? There are, yeah. At certain points, there certainly is embracing a certain level of practice because you want to be identified so much that it just, it, it kind of comes out. You know, and the thing that most people don't talk about as it relates to this is, you know, is, is looking at gay pornography. Is that homosexual behavior? Even though you haven't gone out and physically, you know, uh, you know partnered mm -hmm. with somebody. But like, you know, there's there's a lot of ways in which there's these little cracks underneath <laughs> that uh, that people don't want to talk about and they don't want to explore because, I mean, really, it might expose their own, you know, hypocrisy yes. and yes. all of that, too. And, and you know, the guys do have a, a legitimate complaint sometimes when they say like, well, you know, Christians are just focusing in on this, but they haven't really dealt with, you know, pornography or mm -hmm. adultery or some of those things. Yep. And it's like, well. First of all, yes, in one sense, at a personal level and at a local church level, sometimes those things are not dealt with like they should be. But at the same time, no one is trying to say that in society that uh, that you have kind of this this pride parade for adulterous mm -hmm. relationships. Or That's something. right. You mm -hmm. know, That's I mean, right. there's still generally a, res a respected um, way in which people look at the the marriage 
relationship mm-hmm. and, you know, monogamy, you know, in general. But anyway. MD, we, we've got about a minute left. I want to make sure that we tell our listeners a couple things. One, really quickly, how can they get a copy of the book? And then two, what needs to be our active response to this information? Yes, please go to dangerousaffirmation.net to buy a copy of Dangerous Affirmation. Uh, it's not available on Amazon, so this is the only place you can get it. And in terms of response, just continue to learn and to pray and to seek to have conversations with people and understand what is truly going on out there because, you know, things are not innocent and sweet like you would hope that they are. Hmm. MD, thank you so much yeah, for loving Jesus and loving his bride. Thank you for the work that you've done. Again, the book is Dangerous Affirmation. You can go to dangerousaffirmation.net, dangerousaffirmation.net. Get a copy, read it, talk about it, stand up for the truth of scripture, stand up for the Lord and the Lord's bride. I mean, this is an attack on the church. We've been well equipped to be able to stand in our generation. Let's do that. We're out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.